Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. listeners and thanks for joining us once again dave and i sure run our mouths a lot about model paint so let's just get right into episode 33 of plastic model mojo well dave spring's trying to happen in kentucky yes it is and thank gosh it is man it's been nice it has been i was happy to see the ice and snow go away yeah no doubt i think there's a lot of people across our uh, latitude in the uh, eastern united states are glad to see that gone yep Absolutely. Absolutely. It's quite, it's quite a spell for this part of the country. Yep. Don't get that every year. No, thank thank goodness. Well, what's been up with you and your model sphere since the uh, last episode? Well, I, I've been, you know, I've been a little bit scattered. There's, uh, you know, uh, uh, my model room has gotten back to a critical mess and I need to clean it up. And I've been making progress in fits and starts. Other than that, I'm fairly the the mojo's fairly high. I gotta say, how about yourself? Well, similar. I wouldn't say fits and starts, but uh, I've gotten a little bit done. We'll get to that later. Um, well, you know, I came to Louisville, came to your town last weekend, and yes, you did. Visited Scale Reproductions and spent some money that we'll talk about next episode. Since that's not the segment this time. Then I cruised by your abode there, and we hung out and had some beers in the sunshine on the patio. It's kind of yep. nice. Pre- appreciate it. Let me drink your beer. I was happy to let you drink my beer. And uh, it would have been nicer had the pool been open and it had been about 20, 25 degrees warmer, but we'll get there. But it was good to actually uh, see you face to face, have you come by. And like a good host, I supplied you with good beer. And we, hell, we got to talk about models and got to look at, the, got to look at what you acquired. So, well, oh, I know. All in all, it was a great time. So, uh, Mike, what are you? What's your modeling fluid tonight? Well, I'm finishing off some uh, Basil Hayden. Makes a return appearance, but uh, Basil Hayden's 80 proof, so it's a little lighter than just 80 proof. It's not said yeah. quite that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's 80 proof, so it is uh, significantly uh, less alcohol alcohol by volume than uh, than the bullet by a little. Well. 12%, I guess. Yeah. Difference based on a hundred. So it's, it's lighter. It is lighter. It's, it's just a lighter bourbon and, uh, tends to go a little quicker around my place. <laughs> so that's what I'm enjoying. I, I got, I got one solid pour out of the bottle left and then I'll, I'll probably switch to something else. If I don't, I'm not gonna make it very far into this episode with this probably. Uh Oh, uh Oh, we may have to have an intermission for a refill. Oh, we might have to get some good Monty <laughs> Python intermission music or something. There you go. <laughs> and you, what are you uh, enjoying tonight? Well, I blame this one on you. Of course. I'm drinking podcast favorite uh, Gumball Head that you uh, uh, turned me on to when we started this podcast. And uh, it has since become, I got to say, one of my two or three favorite beers uh, around. And this stuff. Is just so smooth. It is fantastic. It's got a good taste. It's got a a full body, but man, it goes down 
well. You may not be the only one needing a refill before this episode's over. So this will definitely do for this episode. Well, that's a good one, man. I think you've ventured out and tried a lot of uh, hoppier beers since since that one. Absolutely. Have you had their zombie dust yet? Yes, and it's good. It, I still prefer Gumball Head as my number one choice, uh, but zombie, zombie dust is really, really good, and I drink uh The only one of theirs that I've tried that I have not liked is their Robert the Bruce, their Scotch Ale. And I'm just, I'm generally not a fan of Scotch ales. I don't like that flavor profile. But right. uh, I've had all, all their others I've had, and I drink again, enjoy them, enjoy them all. But nothing beats Gumball Head. I would agree with that. So we're going to figure out how to get us some out to Vegas. I don't know how we're going to do that, but we're going to let some people down if we don't show up with a bunch of that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll figure that out. All right. You got faith. I have friends in the shipping industry. (laughs) Well, good thing this is all email. They'd be languishing under the burden of all this listener mail. (laughs) Again, we've got quite a bit, man. All right. Well, let's get to it. People like writing in. First up is Jeff Adair from Rome, Georgia. And uh, he says he's just finished getting caught up on all the episodes. So, Jeff, uh, we appreciate you digging in the back catalog there. Hope you've liked them all. Uh, you two have a great podcast. Look forward to more. And I'm mostly an armor builder, but also enjoy a 48 scale and 30 second scale aircraft. Thanks to Dave. I bought a 172nd clear prop KI-51. Great choice. What is that? The KI-51 is the so- uh, it has the allied code name Sonya. It was a Japanese army aircraft, uh, a dive bomber. Think of it as the equivalent of the Stuka, though not as efficient or effective. But is it, has, is it, is it, is it open cockpit? It is, no, it's an enclosed cockpit with an open rear section where the gunner is, and it is spatted undercarriage. And, uh, oh, okay. Uh, it was an army cooperation and light dive bomber aircraft. They used it throughout the war. Help! They used some of them as kamikazes. And so it, it served throughout the entire war. And he goes on to say what really broke his wallet was a 30-second Zukimura A1J. Ooh, that will break your wallet. Those kits are expensive. But amazing. I, I keep eyeing that Henschel uh, HS, what, 132? 129. 129, that's it. I wasn't too far off. (laughs) Close enough. Close close enough for government work. Like I need that kit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, storage storage of the completed item might be a problem. Well, that's it. It's it's really not that big of an airplane for a twin engine. Yeah, but it's still, in 30-second scale, a pretty big aircraft. Well, hopefully he has good luck with his uh, A1J. Yep. Uh, Robert Perlman for Vancouver, British Columbia, um, has got some uh, got some tips with dealing with our topic last episode of squirrels and rabbit holes. You know, we got a lot of feedback on that episode, and it, that was there's another one of those I wasn't sure about, but we sure sure struck a chord with a few folks. A lot of modelers suffer from it, man. I think the vast majority of us do. I guess so. I just probably never thought about it very much. 
Well, Rob says he's got uh, three bullet items here. The first one is uh, he keeps a distraction list. Now, this is something he started in his in his work. And uh, when he has a rabbit or squirrel idea pop into his head, he jots it down and uh, takes a look at it at the end of the modeling session. Then he realizes that he doesn't actually want to spend the time to investigate most of it. <laughs> he says that works really well for modeling projects. That's a good idea. I can see that working. Now, here, here's one I like. Don't consume YouTube or social media content on subjects that do not relate to your current projects. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that I could do that. But yes, they, that is definitely one of the places distractions come from. And he suggests, you know, he's working on a modern Russian tank and he watches a video on weathering a Panzer IV and all of a sudden he's digging through his German armor. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and finally, boring, good old discipline. And unfortunately, sometimes he says he has to tell himself to focus. Modern life is full of distractions. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And uh, at the end of the day, it's way easier to look up something new uh, than it is to tackle some tricky, uh, tricky part of a model build or paint job. Oh, yeah. I think that a big contributor to the ra- the squirrels and rabbit holes is when you're at, at a point in a build where, you know, it may not be your favorite particular thing to do, filling, sanding, painting, whatever, it, weathering, whatever it is, and it that makes it that much easier for you to look away from that project and go, you know what, I'm going to go I'm interested in looking up something else. I'll I'll be right back. And then <laughs> you're never right back. So, well, he closes saying, I don't think there's an easy answer to this one. The modern iteration of the internet was designed to constantly fracture our attention. Yes. And that can easily bleed over into other aspects of our lives. Yep. I would Amen. not, I would not trade the modern internet because there's so much great out of it. But yes, it is absolutely designed to uh, take whatever level of ADHD that you have and amp it up to a thousand. Next up is Don Gilman from Texas. Uh, he's got a lot of hobbies. Let me tell you that. He's like the uncle. Yeah, he's yeah, he is. You look at this list. Yep. He's he's an engineer, project manager, brewer, cyclist, modeler, and curator. Yep. That sounds, sounds like the uncle. Uh, which would be uh, accountant. Master chef, cyclist, modeler, astronomer, ham radio, ham radio operator. Yep. And beer drinking. Mm, that's a given. Yes. All right. Well, back to Don, since he actually wrote the email. He sent us some pictures of his Tamiya 48 scale P38 that he's just knocked out and uh, kind of all in his theme of what am I doing to get better? He says it's a, a milestone, but a milestone in the lifelong journey. Which that's kind of cool. Yeah. Lessons learned. Do not install anything sticking out of the landing gear bays. He's talking about his build, his build yes. sequence here. Yeah. That results in several broken parts, all repaired or fabricated when the rug monster got one of them. <laughs> that, that that actually is an issue because I am seeing man, aircraft manu- model manufacturers. Any number of them now are manufacturing kits where they want you to install the gear. They want the gear leg, the legs trapped in the gear well early in the build so that throughout the build, you have those things sticking out. In fact, the Trumpeter TU-128 that I've got uh, on and off again 
is designed that way. And that is that that invites exactly the problem he experienced. Oh, no doubt. I, I you know I thought floats on the bottom of the plane were bad. I can't imagine a couple of spindly uh yep. seventy second or forty eighth scale uh landing gear struts. Yep. Destiny. Uh, another lesson learned is use lacquer rattle cans. Hmm. Now I do like the Mr. Surfacer fifteen hundred black, the which is, of course is lacquer. I I shoot all the primer out of a rattle can, but I have never tried painting actual painting with uh, uh finish painting with a, a rattle can. Well, let me look here because this is a this is an olive drab P thirty eight. I assume it's olive drab over over, over neutral and, gray over gray under yeah yeah and uh, I don't know if he. Yeah, painted top and bottom with the uh, AS, the S is spray, mm-hmm. uh, six and seven, which are lacquer. So I guess hmm. he did. Interesting. I, you know, with with a scheme that doesn't have a like tight camo pattern on it, that that might work. No, yeah, I, 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 I I've just never done it, but yeah, I can see it working, especially if it's especially if it sprays like that, Mister Surfacer does. Well, this Tamiya can spray pretty good. Uh more putty sooner. And I don't know if he means that he's got to go back and touch it up a second time. Um, I don't know. If I use a lot of putty and then sand it out, I usually come back and found it shrank more than I thought it was going to after it dried. I am working on, in the spirit of uh, uh, my modeling friend and guru, Scott Skippy King, one of the things that makes his build so great is that he takes his time with fit so that test fit sand, test fit sand, alignment check sand, before he ever actually glues pieces together. So that when he actually does, he rarely, if ever, uses any significant filler. And man, I'm, I do think that while he builds a little bit too slow, uh, I do think that careful approach really minimizes the need for filler. And if you can minimize the need for filler, you're much better off. Maybe that's his Zen man to get, getting it. Yeah. Getting it just, just right. It is. Was it Skippy or was it Dave Crouch? who was carving the propellers. Uh, well, Skippy has carved propellers. And I think Dave Crouch has also carved propellers. You know, that's a, that's a skill among world war one modelers who actually use wood laminates of wood to get that laminated wood look in the uh, in their World War One propellers, and uh, that is that is a common uh, a common skill among World War One aircraft builders. Well, I, I was before we get into that too much. I was just kind of saying that's kind of in the vein of the way he builds. So mm-hmm. I can relate to that. Uh, then he goes on to say, canopy masking is hard. Weathering is hard. Canopy masking is much less hard if you only build kits with pre-cut canopy masks. And that is one of the things that I have sworn to do from now on, because I hate masking canopies and life's too short. And there are plenty of kits I've got that I want to build where you have commercially available masks. So that is one of the things uh, I, I really do think that that is one of the great advances in modeling in the last 20 years are pre-cut canopy masks. And another one, wheels are hard. Buy third-party replacements. <laughs> In general, I agree with that, especially if the kit part is two halves of a wheel, because that 
that seam is just, especially if there's a tread pattern, that seam is just terrible. And there are so many good third party aftermarket wheels, uh, Barracuda cows, uh, in their Barracuda cast resin line, they do tons of wheels in 72nd scale, 48th, and even some 32nd. And the, the cast, the level of casting detail on those things is amazing. So I've always thought that, uh, aftermarket wheels are worth, worth getting. Uh, it continues to evolve the, uh, keep away from the rug monster game. <laughs> I solved that by not having carpet in my model room, but my, I still end up I still end up having pieces uh, uh, losing pieces on the floor, and I can't find them until after the build. And you got to do the stand up from the rolling chair and not move the chair so you don't cast her over the part, right? <laughs> exactly. Yes, which is always particularly fun. And then his final point is pay more attention to the type of paint you buy. I didn't realize my gun black was enamel, so it wasn't thin properly. Uh, we'll get more into paint later. Yep. Oh, and he's got a modeling fluid line. He's mostly an Angel's Envy Rye fan and uh, Glenn Morangi 12-year Highland Scotch and Sherry Cask. That Ooh. stuff is good. Yes. Uh, and he's a brewer, like we said before. He's He's got a few of his own Baltic porters, a lavender saison, and a Belgian white lager. So, Don, you can tell the post office there's no liquids in that box, and we'll send you our address. Yeah, exactly. Especially that Belgian that? especially that Belgian white. I like I like Belgian white. Moving on. I think uh, this is one of your uh, buddies, you and, you and Jim Bates. Yeah. Tim Nelson. Tim Nelson. Tim Nelson out of uh, uh, Seattle, Washington. Yeah. All right. Uh, he didn't. He didn't tell. So the the man. In fact, Tim Nelson is the guy who actually originated the phrase. What's your plan for getting better? Well, thank you for that, Tim. We're stealing it. Yes. Great episode as always. Despite having Jim Bates. <laughs> there you go, Jim. You guys can, you, you can you can hash that out over beer. Uh, he says he's had an epiphany in recent years, and that is I can't build everything. Well, we're all there. Yep. Uh, I, I, this is all going to be related to episode 32 again, and he's got quite a few bullet points, uh, focusing mainly on his core interests, so as to build collections, vintage civil aircraft, air races, experimentals, racers, factual space, that sort of thing. Uh, he enjoys the occasional palate cleanser, some ships or autos or quick builds, low part count, uh, modern tool kits like 72nd scale armor. Now here's a good one. Maintain a three year lookout chart. That no, that's no, that's no way. not a bad idea. Uh, it, uh, no, it he, doesn't, he doesn't say it can't constantly change. Well, no, he does say it. he pencils it in and it's fluid. Yes, I, I was going to say that's not a bad idea. I mean, uh, you know, prior planning prevents poor performance. Um, but but if it's in pencil and fluid, then. Well, you don't want to, you don't want to lock in completely. All right. Uh, from my engineering perspective, that's a, that's a make myself feel good move there. I don't think well, that's going to work out. That's okay. If it makes you feel better, that's accomplished something. Uh, he does say it ensures he commits to uh, club displays at the, at the museum of flight there in Seattle. Yeah. Um, and he says these commitments are a great, great incentive to finish models. I disagree again. 
Yeah, uh, that that doesn't work for me generally. I think I noted in a previous episode that anytime I get involved in a group or challenge build or something like that, the 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 enthusiasm may start off high, but it just dies halfway through the the project. I've never had success at that. So so Tim, you're you're a better man than us if 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 you're getting through those club display builds and persevering because it's, it's a good way to end up building something you're not interested in, which means yeah. I will never finish it. Yeah. Well, Tim is a better man than both of us. Cause I, you should see his models. He, he does a lot of scratch building and vacuum building vax and, and other strange and esoteric models. He is a, a he is a very, very good modeler. Uh, except that you may not have a hundred percent of the information you need to answer all the questions you have about a subject yep, and you got to make an educated guess and accept the risk that you may be wrong. Yep. I, I completely you, agree with that. I, I do too. And, and I've, I've struggled with that one, but I, I've, I've actually had some success though. Generally build pairs of models as we discussed to stagger the build stages and the, uh, and he also says this, this is a little tough or illusory um, leveraging economy of scale. So, you know, if you got two or three models going at once, it all use the same paint. Right. Uh, you can kind of double or triple down there. It's kind of, it says it's a little overwhelming keeping track of everything, but you know, that, that's, that's a good point. Stu Cox, our club president, uh, we call him Optimus Primer because he has so many models in the primer stage. And actually what he does is he builds two or three models, gets them primed and has them set aside and then when he's going to paint, if two or three of the subjects use, you know, Africa Corps yellow or U.S. Army olive drab or whatever, he paints them together in groups. And, you know, it works for him. If charting new modeling territory, i.e. your plan for getting better, uh, you know, he suggests using the mule. Yep. I have not used mules nearly enough, and I am. That's one of my uh, 2021 resolutions: is more, more paint, more experimentation on paint mule on mules, paint mules. Except the occasional squirrel that immediately moves to the top of the build list queue. Okay. Occasional. Occasional. That's the key word. There's occasional. Yes. <laughs> he put squirrel in quotes. He should put occasional in quotes. Yeah. <laughs> or occasional squirrel. Maybe that can be our cl- our podcast mascot. I guess so. Focus more on process and less on results, which ends up giving you a better result. Now that's a take on uh, your Navy SEAL slay saying there. Yep. Yep. Slow is steady and steady is fast. Enjoy and learn from the work and passions of others. You know, yep. that was, that one I struggle with. Cause a lot of times it gets to the point where, where the, uh, the work of others kind of, Makes me not want to build anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't you don't want to use it to make yourself feel bad, but you can use it as inspiration. I I I have this comment why I say when I talk about coming home from the IPMS Nationals every time. I have two opposite reactions at the IPMS Nationals. One, I go, I look at all these fantastic models and I get really fired up and want to build and inspired and all. And then I also go to the nationals, look at all these fantastic models and go, oh my God, my, I can't do this. I need to give it up. 
<laughs> so, you know, it's it's kind of a balanced thing. But yeah, uh, I mean, you do if you do accept accept your limitations, you will end up being overall happier with your with your what you produce. And I think what you produce will be better. And that's not just a modeling statement. Yeah, well, that's true. It's a kind of a <laughs> life want, statement. If we want to get philosophical here, yeah, we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna be Stuart Smalley. Ah, uh, James Culotta from uh, Whittier, California. His solution to squirrels and rabbit holes is limiting yourself to one build or quote maybe two at a time and keep the stash small. Now you talk about discipline. Yeah. Uh. He says that uh, if he gets into a project and takes a lot of time researching and watching videos and such, if he does that for too long, his interest can start to wane. He starts looking at other crap to buy and build. Well, there is some truth to that. No, I think so. So he's kind of a serial builder, kind of like me, like I used to be. Yeah. I'm I'm trying not to be that. Uh, But for him, it helps complete by doing it one kid at a time and keeping the stash small. So some good points there. Well, you know, uh, if I could go back and change things, I might try and and make my stash a little smaller uh, or might not have bought everything that I have bought and have squirreled away around the house. But I have plans for everything. Every model I've ever bought, I have plans for it the moment I bought it. This is what I want to do with it. It's just finding the time and getting around to it. Well, John Ozaka from uh, Pahrump, Nevada is also guilty of squirrels and rabbit holes. And uh, he says he was once told by a modeler friend, you are not a real modeler unless you had at least 10 works in progress on your bench. (laughs) (laughs) He says he only built one at a time, but when he really looked around, he counted 17. (laughs) Yep. I I feel that, but the shelf of shame is large, man. That's right. And he has to agree, Google is a, bo- is a boon for modeling, but is the biggest rabbit hole known to exist, basically. All right. Well, he hopes to meet us in uh, Las Vegas and have some modeling fluid with us. So, Absolutely. We'll, Absolutely. We'll, we'll appreciate that. I, I hear they actually have modeling fluid of many types in Las Vegas. Well, we're going to bring some of our own anyway. That's right. Uh, Alec K. from Northeast Wisconsin. Uh, pretty much he just can't. He can't keep his head wrapped around uh, doing more than one at a time. So he's deeply immersed in a single subject and uh, trying to get into more is just says beyond his capability. One major side benefit of this approach is uh, he gets to skip the self-loathing and the unfinished shelf queens. Yeah. So so another one at a time guy. If you can do that, that's fantastic. I, I, I I would, I would not argue that's not the best way to do it. I, I I just, I just don't have that ability. Uh, I've got to have at least two going at one time, preferably one in the paint booth and one in the construction stage. Uh, John Vickis, I think he's one of your mosquito bill buddies. Yes, he is. He says a lot here. But I'm going to hit his main point here. Um, many years ago, he came up with a mathematical formula for rabbit holes. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Uh, the probability of finishing is equal to the inverse of the number of references to the third power. <laughs> That's probably true. You, I do think there is an ability to over-research a subject where you get so lost in the, minu- the minutiae. Uh, now, keep in mind, 
I'd be willing to take John's word on this because I think at last count he has something like 70 or 80 half-finished projects. Well, he alluded to that in a prior uh, listener mail, but... Uh, yes. He must have a... Well, I think it's because he has a lot of reference material based on he, his email. He, he does. <laughs> so, so folks know what we're doing. Um the probability of finishing a model using only one reference source, which is usually the kit instructions, is one. Because one over the cube, the third power of one is a one. One, yep. Uh, if you have two reference sources, the probability drops to one-eighth that you're going to finish it. If you have three reference sources, it drops to one-twenty-seventh. <laughs> so you can see where that's going. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. And while I, I'm not sure the mathematics are that bad, I think the general rule of thumb is probably correct. Uh, I might, I might argue with, I might argue with the, with the, uh, with the powers there, but as far as the basic mathematical formula, I do think that he's correct. Well, hell, I'm never going to get anything done. Yeah. Well, it's, um, well, I don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> Take a shot. uh danny saint laurent that's an interesting question here dave okay and i i I actually think that maybe the guys at scale model podcast are going to tackle this one soon uh what do you guys do when you run out of space having a hard time to decide what to do with the older projects you know i have encountered two types of modelers uh, and they they tend to fall in one one of two camps there are people who, when they finish the model, they carefully display it on a shelf with all of their other finished stuff. And, and to them, the finished product is important as a finished product. And then there are guys who, when they finish the model, now this is an extreme uh, exaggeration, but it's generally, it conveys the attitude when they finish the model, they could look at it for five minutes, get a hammer out, crush it, and throw it in the trash. That, f- <laughs> that for them, the completed model is a completed model. It's not anything special to them. They're getting their enjoyment out of the process. And the, once the model's done, they'll give it away to the first guy who says, here, you want this? Yeah. I mean, because they have no, no emotional investment in the finished product. Uh, we got a repeat from Father Deacon Raphael Shelton, our uh, scale model padre out of uh, Oak Ridge, Tennessee. All right. Now, this one's fun. Uh, again, episode 32, context. Uh, I thought I was some kind of weirdo, but Jim's experience almost exactly describes my own bench. I have a fear of painting. And no indoor airbrush space. Plus, 10 plus projects, all in various stages of not doneness. Uh, or maybe that just means I'm the same kind of weirdo as Jim. I don't know. He, <laughs> he said he was just flabbergasted. We learned that other modelers build just one thing at a time. Or even have one in, one thing in each stage at a time. As Jim said, are they on drugs? <laughs> if nothing else, it's good for me to hear that I'm not alone in my version of model weirdness. Well, thank you, uh... Father Deacon Shelton. Absolutely. You are not alone. There are plenty of people like you. And as far as, as production goes, 
if you can find some way to get yourself a dedicated painting space, uh, be it in a garage or, you know, one of these little uh, outbuildings that you can buy at Lowe's or Home Depot and drop in your backyard if you don't have the space in the in the house, if you can have a little modeling shed. But having that dedicated space to paint really does drive the finish of, of a lot of projects. Because if you have to wait for the weather to be good or something like that, the you know, you can quickly get a traffic jam all built up at the paint booth. Next one up is a Derek Post from Des Moines, Iowa. And he's back into the hobby after a 27-year hiatus. Yay, welcome back. Since about three years, so not 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 a lockdown kind of comeback like a lot of these are, but still 27 years, that's a long time. Yep. Uh, he dug up a bunch of models in storage from his high school years, and uh, he's added a couple new builds in his first year here, but uh, he says he solved his shelf of doom issue by forcing himself to finish one dead model for every new one he starts. That's, that is a good strategy and one I would like to impl- implement myself if I could bring myself to do it. And he says the one he's most proud of was the last one that was given to him by his grandparents. So I imagine that's probably been in storage a while. And uh, he says that uh, a finished model always looks better than anything not finished. That's, that's, a, tr- that's a truism there. That is absolutely true. Uh, and then he's gone on to uh, throw the gauntlet down in the mediocre modelers page on Facebook. Now, mediocre modelers is that uh, is that Andy from Andy Hobby Headquarters runs that one? It may be. I can't. God, there's so much social media. I can't keep it all straight. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, associate somebody incorrectly. But that may be. Anyway, he says he's the leader of the pack on his challenge, and uh, now he's got nothing on the shelf of doom. So. That's an accomplishment, my brother. Good on you, man. Yes. Now, this final final one comes through our Facebook page. I just want to give this gentleman a shout-out, Mr. Uh, Brian Dinklau. Uh, we've had a rather protracted conversation with him over the last few weeks on Facebook Messenger. And uh, not that it's a bad thing. He's posted some good beers. He's got a Voodoo Ranger on there and a, and a Zombie Dust. And he's kind of a Machining Krieger sci-fi kind of guy and he's really really talented so we appreciate all the all the comment and uh, we look forward to seeing more of your work brian yeah and and generally all of you guys out there listening uh and maybe ladies who knows there might be one listening somewhere we one of the big enjoyments that mike and i get out of doing this is all of the interaction with other modelers i mean that's one of the big enjoyments of this hobby is we're all weird in the same particular way. And, you know, we, we love interacting with folks and having folks write us and, and message us and email us and whatever, just with their takes on, on what we've said, we're, we're, we're looking for input. So send us an email at uh, plastic model mojo at gmail.com, or you can come through like, Mr. Dinklau did through the uh, messenger system on Facebook. Either way is fine. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, while you're sitting there getting ready to formulate an email or instant message to us, uh, while you're listening to this podcast or at the end when you're done, if you take a moment and go to whatever podcast uh, app you're using to listen to our podcast, 
rate the, rate the podcast, give it five stars. We'd appreciate it. It helps with the algorithm and makes, makes the uh, podcast more visible to more people. Uh, the other thing you can do for us is tell somebody. If you like listening to these things, if you're enjoying the podcast, you've all got modeling friends out there. We, you know, we all know somebody else. Tell them about it. Tell them you enjoy it. Get them hooked up with it. Get them listening. We appreciate that. And our listener base is growing every episode. And uh, it really inspires Mike and I to sit down and take the time that it takes to actually do these episodes. So we appreciate that. Well, and we're not the first game in town or the only game in town. If you're listening to us, you got to also check out the Scale Model Podcast out of Canada, On the Bench out of Australia, the Plastic Posse Podcast and the Model Geeks Podcast, both out of the USA and just making conversation out of the United Kingdom. If you're in the English language world, we pretty much got you covered on uh, most of the corners of the planet here. In addition to the podcasts, uh, please check out our non-podcast content creators. We have our friend Stephen Lee with Sprue Pie and Frets. Always some good opinions out there on what's going on in the hobby world. Uh, Chris Wallace with Model Airplane Maker. Jeff Groves, the Inch High Guy. And Jim Bates, our guest at the last episode, uh, Scale Canadian TV. You can always check out his music musings on uh, YouTube. It's always a good time. Also, finally, uh, uh, if if you're not a member of your IPMS national organization, IPMS USA or IPMS Canada or IPMS Australia or wherever you happen to be listening to us, please take a moment to find your national organization and join your IPMS national organization. Um I'm a member of both IPMS USA and IPMS Canada. Uh, they are both premier modeling organizations run by dedicated volunteers who don't get paid for any of this. They're just doing their part to make the hobby a better place. They produce fantastic magazines. They help organize and ensure model contests. Uh, they do lots of lots of good things behind the scenes that most modelers never see. So it's, you know, the, the memberships are not very expensive. Go ahead, join your national organization. You won't regret it. Well, it's time for Countdown to Vegas. I'm telling you what, man, I cannot wait. We are inching closer. At the time of this recording, we are 163 days away from the 2021 IPMS National Convention in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yay! Getting there, man. Getting there. It'll, it'll be here before you know it. Which is great. It's also sad because it means summer will be over. <laughs> yeah, well, the, well, summer summer happens in a blink of an eye, man. Winter, right. winter, winter is all... Winter goes by slow. I swear February lasts six months, but... Uh, 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 summer goes by in the blink of an eye. I had a great week last week and I must've just been reveling in that. Cause I did not get a hold of Bob this, this, uh, this past week or last two weeks. And I, Bob Lamasaro, I apologize for not getting with you, but, uh, but I can say a few things here. Uh, I'm sure there are still trophy sp- sponsorship packages that need to uh, need to be bought up. So if that's something you're considering, please do that modeling or yeah, the, uh, Model registration forms are up on the website, so if you want to get an early start on getting your your model registration forms filled out, 
because you're going to bring a ton of models, right? Yes, because uh, we've all been building for two years now. You can get those filled out and get a jump on that. In addition, uh, general re- registration opens April 1st, so that's just around the corner. It's uh, s- Tonight is March 8th, so you got a f- about three weeks, and that's going to open up, and you can uh, get the general registration form and, and get registered for the uh, IPMS National Convention. I highly recommend pre-registering, guys. Do it online. Uh, you don't want to end up at the convention wasting time standing in a line to to register. Uh, if pre-registration helps the local show or helps the the national organization who's putting on the show. Um, it, it, in-person registration is a burden on manpower, so don't don't waste time that you could be spending in the vendor room standing in line to register pre-register because somebody's going to buy that kit you were looking for yes they are so uh mike uh what's your bench top look like as if we all didn't know from facebook it's covered with a uh, it's yeah there's paint bottles everywhere <laughs> Well, that's fitting considering what we're going to talk about tonight, but uh, uh, what's what's been going on on the bench? Well, per per my update last episode, the uh, E16 Paul is in the display case, not collecting dust, but not getting worked on. Yeah. I've got I've got to push this anti-tank gun across the finish line. It's it's too close. Yeah. So so I've been uh Working on through working through all the paint distressing and the chipping, which I've started, which you know all that stuff's still kind of new to me. Um, I me tell too. you, I've severely underestimated the volume of work. You know, I I I agree with you. It is amazing to me. I'm just I've just started that stage on the M30, and I have now come to the realization that it's probably going to be as much time weathering the model as everything up to the weathering of the model. And that's why I've, I've, I've said to Jim Bates before, and I may have said it to you, you know, we watch uncle night shifts videos. I don't think most of us appreciate the amount of time that goes into what shows up in a 20 minute video that he does that the amount and time of, of actual bench time doing all of those things. Well, it's going to take a while. I, I worked all weekend on the gun breach area and I, that's what I showed on Facebook and yeah. it's not done yet. And I'm, I've really only got the loader's side done. I got to flip it around and, and well, it's not done though. I, I got to finish the loader side then move to the gunner side and then, you know, then work toward the the opposite side of the gun shield, and then there's a split trail, and then there's the wheels. Yeah. So it's going to take a while. I'm, I think I'm enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing new things. You're acquiring new skills, just like I mean, and we'll talk about it in the in the uh, main section. But new paint, new painting techniques. You know. Uh, that's, that's adding, adding arrows to your quiver. It is. I'm, I'm pleased the way it looks so far. I gotta, I'm going to try to underdo it, not overdo it. Sure. And 
other than the the gun, I've not done much on the other parts. I've not done any more work on the base this in the, in the last two weeks. Yeah. Um, I'll understand it. I had a good week last week all around, but I just didn't get a lot of modeling done. I, I got some done this weekend, uh, but uh, hopefully I'll keep, no pun intended, but chipping away at this thing. Oh, that was bad. <laughs> that raises an interesting question. Do you think that, you know, you're, you're talking about doing most of these things for the first time. Do you think that as you do it regularly and more often that maybe that will speed up your process? I think so. I think a lot of this was kind of like jumping off the high dive at the pool for the first, first time. Yeah. The first time you do it, you stand there a long time at the edge. Yeah, because because you, you can't just see to the top of the water. You can see all the way to the bottom of the diving well, which is, you know, yeah. The the water's like twelve feet below you, but the bottom of the diving well is like thirty feet below you. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I think so. I think uh, this is it'll it'll probably speed up as I do it. Yeah. On, on yeah. this particular model, but I really I'm really liking the way it's looking. So, well, good. We'll we'll keep trucking on, but that's all I'm working on. Nothing else right now. That single-minded focus. That's great. Well, I had to, or it's not going to get finished. Yep. All right. What's up? What's up with you? Well, uh, I am working most almost exclusively on the mosquito in the last two weeks. I've got it to the point where the major sub-assemblies are coming together. Uh, the whole thing's about to be in basically one solid piece soon. Um, if I don't drive myself blind, uh, uh, putting on wing lights, I have managed to clip off and lose while attempting to drill two of the four for, uh, wingtip lights, um, <laughs> which has taught me that I really cannot rely on my eyesight. I need to wear my optivisor all the time or nearly all the time while I'm modeling because I think both losses are probably a result of that, me thinking that my vision is better than it is. I I think I said last time that I think one of the reasons I'm concentrating so heavily on the Mosquito uh, is a combination of wanting to get m- progress made on the Mosquito, but it also gives me an excuse not to move forward on the M30. And I'm at the top of that, uh, at that diving board, looking down into the bottom of the well and man, that looks like a ton of work. So I, I like what I've done so far, but I just need to swallow the fear and move forward with it. Cause once I do it, I've actually enjoyed the, the weathering. I'm at the pin wash stage on one of the split trails and you know, uh, I've already worked on the wheels and uh, really like how they've come out. So I just need to to stop procrastinating and switch back and forth between the Mosquito and the M30. And then the TU-128 is kind of pushed off to the side at the moment just simply because of the fact that I've got these two ba- more than enough to occupy me back and forth right now. But uh, I will be bringing that back fairly soon. Mike, have you been uh, browsing the internet, seeing what's coming out lately? Got anything that interests you? I have. Like what? Well, this may be 
a rabbit hole or a squirrel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Parcel Miniatures out of Vietnam has released a set of uh, really sweet-looking uh, Imperial Japanese Army tank riders. Im- now, now say that again for me. Imperial Japanese Army. Right. Out of uh, what modeling company? Out of what country? Parcel Miniatures. They're out of Vietnam. Really? I have, yeah. I don't think I have ever heard of any any model producer or figure producer out of Vietnam before. They make a lot of really nice Viet Cong and NVA figures. Well, they've got the research. Well, I'm sure. And and those those would definitely be a rabbit hole. Those they're nice and it's like, yeah, but I've not really connected with those. They're nice figures, but this set of Japanese, these figures are really, really cool looking. And uh I know I've got at least one fine molds Japanese tank back there in the stash in the furnace room. So So do I. <laughs> <laughs> so I that's may have my, two. You may. Uh, <laughs> I can see me. I can see me buying these. There's four tank riders and a tank commander, and and you know they sell the big set like Stalingrad miniatures does. You can buy, you can buy you know two figure sets, or you can buy the whole the whole thing at once. Yeah. So yeah, I think I'm interested in this. I do. You know, Japanese armor is so underrepresented in modeling and in dioramas that, you know, I, I just, every time I see a well-executed uh, uh, Pacific or, or uh, Burma, India or Philippines diorama, I, I mean, there's something that draws you to them because they're not, you know, one of 35 Panthers on the table or 35 tiger tanks on the table. Uh, that some of that stuff is just really, really neat looking. Well, check these out. They're, uh, I think, uh, I saw them on the modeling news web blog. Oh, I'll have to check that out. I need to go to modeling news more often. Really, really, really nice. Uh, nice set of figures. Well, what about you? What's your, what's your best favorite? Well, um, there's a company out of Japan called Ushi. Now that's not the German company Ushi. This is U-S-H-I. And I first became familiar with them because they made two sets of Japanese Navy World War II aerial armament, bombs, basically. Um, uh, There are two sets of them that I came across. And amazingly enough, Japanese World War II uh, bombs are not a common item. A lot of kits don't include them. If they do, they're very basic, uh, and they're up until this, there's really been no aftermarket. And they made this two sets of, uh, of Navy bombs, and I got them uh, from uh, Hobby Link Japan and really liked them. And um, they've just released two sets of Imperial Japanese Army bombs. And you would think, well, wait a minute, aren't they the same? The answer is no. The Japanese Army and the Japanese Navy hated each other and did not cooperate in the least during World War II uh, and definitely did not share ordinance. Uh, there was no common ordinance 
oh, I forget the name of the writer. I listened to a lecture once and he was talking about the 1944-45 bombing assault on Japan by the, by the U S army air corps. And the Japanese army and the Japanese Navy were so uncooperative with each other. They did not even share radar intelligence. So there were mountains where you had a Japanese Navy radar set on the mountain talking to the Navy and the Japanese Army radar set on the mountain talking to the Army, but neither one talked to each other. But these are, like I said, uh, Japanese World War II is one of my areas of interest. So these tickle a spot for me and uh, I'm definitely going to be picking them up. Now, my next one is not something I'm going to build, most likely, uh, but I think it's a winner. Okay. Um, Also, off the modeling news recently, Ravel put out their releases for, I don't know if it was for 2021 or just March. Right. They're doing a VW microbus in 124 scale. I think that you mean the old microbus, the 1960s? 60s, 70s microbus, yeah. Yeah, the, the I think what they call the 16-window bus? No, not the 16-window bus. That's a oh, real okay. early one, but the, but the the more common one. Gotcha. Um, there's two kits. One's a snap kit, but one's a more traditional, you know, many-part type, you know, over 100-part glue-together kit. And I think I think that's going to be a, a, a good kit for them. Oh, that sounds good. It's a popular I- subject. I could, I could see that being very popular. So we'll see. Yeah. Like I said, I don't think I'll end up with one, but uh, I, c- I could see the popularity and I thought it was interesting. Oh, and I'm sure it would. I mean, uh, you could do a really nice buildup of it because they had some really fantastic color combinations. Well, you got another winner? Well, this may be a winner. It's out of a, com- a company that I guess is out of Australia. So we're going to have to find get the on the bench guys to tell us more about this. Uh, a company called Hamilton Hobbies AU has announced a C-130H post-1990s update set for the new Vesta C-130H. That didn't take long. No, and I figured <laughs> it would. I suspect this is going to be just the tip of the C-130 iceberg. That kit has so much pent-up demand behind it. You know, I think you're going to see tons of companies doing C-130 sets for this Vesta kit. Uh, This is just the first one I've happened to see. I don't know what it's like. I've just seen the announcement of it. And if any listener out there knows anything more about it, I would love to hear it because it certainly piques my interest. Well, I'm not sure about my next one yet. Okay. Uh, it's a collaboration between DOS work and amusing hobby. And, uh, they're doing a Ram tiger. Oh my God. (laughs) I, I have seen this thing and I'll be honest with you. It was on my list for a yawn. Well, maybe for me too. Now I tell you, this is a great one for the paint and weather guys because of the big slab sides on it. But to be honest, there's just not much to it. Yeah. It just looks looks like a big sow bug, you know? Yes. I don't know. I'm curious, uh, you know, somebody's going to do something brilliant with this thing and I'll, I'll still think it's not something I ever want to build, but it'll be impressive (laughs) because it'll be big. Yeah. But for me, for me, that's probably a yawn, but I'm, I'm curious to see where this goes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, the the paper panzers for me all tend to be pretty much beyonds, but you know, there's plenty of people out there that's their thing. Well, I've got one more. I've got one more yay, and that is um a company out of Canada called Matnik Decals, M A T N I C Decals is doing two sheets of decals for the uh, Avro Canada CF100 Canuck, the indigenously built uh, Canadian jet fighter of the uh, uh, 50s and 60s, or 60s, I guess. They're, they look really nice. Uh, more CF100 decals are always welcome. My hope is that this will prompt somebody other than Hobbycraft to release an actual good kit of the CF-100. Uh, it is <laughs> it is a hole that, you know, I, I suspect it's a hole because it was used only by the Canadians and then I think the Belgians used some. But so it, it, it was fairly long serving, but didn't get a wide, a, a wide sales as far as across a bunch of countries, but, um, you know, it's a beautiful airplane. It really, it screams that sixties aesthetic. And, uh, uh, there are numerous sets of, of different camouflage and markings. And so these decals are great. Now we all, all we got to do is sit and wait for the, the modeling gods to give us a new kit. So it's kind of backwards. Yes, that's right. If you build it, they will come. Well, I've got a a yawn, and it it came to us from Stephen Lee, who sent it up as his 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 vote for the yawn of the month. Uh, Gecko Models is releasing a one thirty fifth scale skid loader. Yes, a, 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 a bobcat. What, right. What we met, what we commonly call a bobcat, but a bobcat is a trade name of a particular item, whereas this is the generic skid loader bobcat um i've seen that i you know i'm sure somebody's gonna just like those darn pigeons somebody's gonna do a diorama and it's gonna be fantastic and you're gonna go man why didn't i think of that but i sure can't picture it in my head right now to get the construction guys you think that this would be kit would be better served in like 24th scale or 25th scale or something like that yeah but here it is in, in armor scale, 35th. So, But now keep in mind, just in the last few years, we have seen uh, a couple of pieces of farm equipment, tractors and such, and uh, uh, bulldozers in 35th scale. Now, mostly they're in the military setting. That's, that's true. But, you know, maybe it's an area of growth that, that we're just not tapped into. I don't know. That's possible. So we wish Gecko Models good luck with this one. But, you know, they got some other models that are kind of interesting, so we won't dog them too hard. No. Just an interesting uh, choice of subjects. It is. It is, definitely. Well, we're going to break here and have a little word from our sponsor, Dave. Absolutely. Plastic Model Mojo is now brought to you by Model Paint Solutions, your source for harder Steenbeck airbrushes, David Union power tools, and laboratory-grade mixing, measuring, and storage tools for use with all your model paints, be they acrylic, enamels, or lacquers. Check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com. Well, we're back. We've rebeard, and we're ready to go again. 
did you re-beer or re or, or re-bourbon? I, well, I'm out. I re-beard. I'm into the Narragansett now. So okay. Well, that's a that's a that's a good beer. That's a uh, you know. Well, it's, it's it's not Gumball Head, but uh, well, no, no. Um, if, but if you can't have Gumball Head, it's it'll get the yard mode. Yeah, that's that is exactly <laughs> what. The, it's exactly like Blue Moon. That's what Blue Moon is for. Blue Moon will get the yard mode on a hot day. Our special segment tonight: paint the town red but with enamels, lacquers, or acrylics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dave, we got a, well, we don't, but I can understand folks coming back into this hobby after being gone a number of years or decades. Yeah. It's probably a little tough on the, on the paint front. Uh, it's you ever go to the grocery store and you're looking for something and you go to one of those big stores and they, there's just, I don't know what, maybe there's it's too beer. Much. Maybe yeah. it's tea. I don't know. Or, or cereal. Yeah. There's just so damn much. You can't make up your mind. Yeah. And you don't want to know what half of it is. That's right. I think, uh, we're in the golden age and it's kind of bled over into hobby paints and this isn't, this isn't going to be a, how to use all this stuff. This is going to be a kind of a general discussion of what's going on. So, um, cause, cause we joke about it, you know, Oh my God, another paint line. Yep. It's like one one every other month. It is. So so I just off the top of my head. Now, these are paint lines that I consider geared toward the plastic model hobbyist. Yeah. We have Tamiya out of Japan which I think has three lines of paint. They have their, yes. their hybrid acrylic line. They've got an enamel line and they've yeah. got a new just coming, j- just coming onto, onto the show here, uh, a lacquer line. So yeah. you got to me, you got to me with three. And then you got Mr. Color out of oh, your hang, hang on, hang on. Okay. We got Humbrel out of the UK. Yeah. Who I think do they still have an acrylic line? They they have an acrylic and an enamel line. So they they've got two. We've got color coat out of the UK. Yeah. We got GSI or Gunsanyo Industries. They've got two major lines of paint. They've got right. their. Uh, is it a lacquer? Or is it a is it a hybrid like Tamiya? Well, the only one I've ever used is their lacquer, their true lacquer. Is it a true lacquer? I don't know yes. if it is or not. But they've got their Aquist line too. Yeah. So they've got to never use that. We got Vallejo out of Spain. Yeah. Who who has well, it's a huge range, but really they're bottled paint. They're, there's kind of three series. There's the their standard model color range. There's the game color range, and there's the uh what's the Panzerace's line. Yes. So it's a lot of paint. But uh we got life color out of Italy. We got AK Interactive out of Spain, which has their two major lines are their Gen Three acrylic dropper bottle paints and their uh, their real color lacquers, or they may be a hybrid too. I don't know if they're more they're, like the they're, GS. They're they're an acrylic lacquer, yeah. So they're like the Tamiya, yeah. And they've got a lot of peripheral, you know, metallic ranges too, stuff like that. So they got more than two, but that, the, the the big ones are two. We've got Ammo of Mig out of Spain. Mo from uh, Mig Mig Jimenez. he's got an acrylic line. 
We have Hataka Paints out of Poland. They've got an acrylic line and a lacquer line. Yeah. Uh, MRP or Mr. Paint. I think that's out of the U.S. I believe so. Uh, that's a lacquer. Yeah. Uh, Scale Model Supply out of Australia is a lacquer. Yeah. Mission Models out of the U.S. is an acrylic. Yeah. Uh, Ravel runs a line of paint out of the EU. That's an acrylic. Little square bottles, you've seen them? Yep. yep. And then uh, there's a ACAN out of Russia. Yeah. Which is, they have two lines. They have an acrylic line and a lacquer line. Yeah, they do. So that's just off the top of my head, just writing crap down at lunchtime today. Yeah. Um, what is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Sixteen manufacturers. And it's like 22... 22 paint lines out of that. Yeah. And that's there are probably, a- and there are more. I'm sitting here looking as we're talking, I'm sitting here looking at my desk and my, my model paint collection in, in my storage container. Uh, I count at least one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 15 different paint, paint, uh, at least one bottle of one type of paint from at least 15 different manufacturers. On my bench right now on the Zis2 project, I have a lot of bottles of paint, five, five different makers, three different formulations. So it's, it's uh, pretty, conf- pretty confusing, I would think, for a lot of folks. I, I'll tell you what, I pity the guy coming into the hobby today, just just entering the hobby, you know, wants to get an airbrush and, and, and start painting. You know, no, having to learn the difference between uh, a, a water-based uh, uh, acrylic and an alcohol or lacquer-based acrylic and a true lacquer and an enamel and a, I mean... And what paints you can thin with what thinners. Uh, and I mean, that learning curve, you know, it used to be there were what, like two or three types of paints. They were mainly enamels. There was poly S if you wanted to do an acrylic. And that was it. It was pretty easy to to figure out what paint you were going to use. Um, I, you know, I pity the guys coming in trying to, swallow this this amount of information and i'll tell you sometimes it even mystifies me as to okay now i think this will work with this but sometimes i have to test it out which by the way i do regularly recommend have a paint mule test stuff out don't don't try something new on the fin on the model that you've completed building and are trying to paint well let's back up a little bit sure what did you cut your neophyte scale model or teeth on? Now I don't mean the kid square bottle testers. Maybe you did, but when, when you made the decision, when it, when it flipped in your head that this was your hobby and you were going to, you know, you got into the magazines and, and the hobby shops and all that. What, uh, what were you using? Oh, there's no question for the vast majority of my modeling life. I've used exactly one line of paints, maybe two. 
Uh, I may have started with Humbrils in the tins. And then when Model Master became available, I've used Model Master pretty much for 90% or 80% of my modeling life. Uh, they were enamels, and one of the virtues of enamels is they're very forgiving uh, when airbrushing. Um, they were easy to use. They were widely available because they were made here in the U.S. And, uh, and I, you know, some people had love-hate relationships with them, but I'll tell you, I, I, I really liked spraying them, and I wish the line wasn't going away. Well, I was one of those people. Because they're metallics and don't ever dry. Oh yeah, well yeah, oh, that is tr- that is true. And and one of the pluses of all these uh, divergent lines of paint now is that you have choices to to do specific things like metallics, uh, sprayed metallics, uh, Alclad too. From here till the end of time, for me, I, they work for me. I love them. They're very easy to use. They give you a great finish. Um, and that wasn't available when you were trying to use the metalizers from uh, from Model Master. They were awful. They never dried. They didn't look right. Although, ironic, ironically, if you were working on something where you just needed to pick out a detail, they actually didn't brush paint too bad. You could actually brush paint the, the, the metalizer metallics you know, on to highlight gear or, or, you know, stuff like that, little details. But as far as airbrushing, it was, it was awful. Well, for me, you know, like, like everybody else, I was using the tester square bottles for the longest time. Yeah. But once I've kind of, once it flipped and I was in my head and I was like, yeah, I kind of like this. And I started buying the model magazines and, going to the hobby shops. I got into, uh, Pactra paints. Yeah. Uh, they're, uh, authentic international color series. You remember those? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I'm sitting here. I've still got on a carousel about 16 of these things. God, God, those <laughs> have to be, Mike, those have to be 30 years old. They are. They're 30 years old. Absolutely. <laughs> now every year I throw away a couple cause they dry out, but, yeah, I've reconstituted. I reconstitute about every other year. See if I can. Um, this line of paint was kind of the U.S. domestic answer to Humbrol's authentic colors color range. Yeah. Um, and I would argue it's the first line of paint that actually had weathering colors in it. Well, didn't they have at least a track color? Well, Humbrol had a track color. So right, I knew that. But the the Pactor had mud and earth, and they actually had a a uh, they had a weathering solution that was a really thinned wash that you could buy, and it just you know it made dust dusty crap all over your model when it dried. But yeah. it was kind of kind of new, and and these you know they had all the colors for the different nations and the weathering colors, and that's kind of what what I cut my teeth on. This stuff airbrushes horribly. Yeah, it's not very good paint to be honest. But uh, that's what I started using. I still got some of it. So that's old. That's nostalgia there. Now, a little later, the shop got the Humbrol rack. And I, I, you know, I've used a lot of that over the years. And in the 80s, mid 80s, uh, the Tamiya, the Tamiya rack landed. 
Yeah. And uh, that's a whole whole different topic there, but uh, that's what I cut my teeth on, pretty much well, the, the, pack, the Pactra. I I never never made the big move over from uh, from Humbrol to Tamiya. Uh, you know, I moved to Model Master, and because for me it worked so well, I never felt the uh, compelled to try the Tamiya stuff. And when I did, I will be honest with you. It getting my head around back then, you know, the fact that this was not an enamel paint and didn't behave like an enamel paint was was kind of tough for me. So I guess I never really got into uh never got into using a lot of the Tamiya paints. And then of course uh, it I did try a little bit of it for brush painting, you know, detail stuff. And that is just not a good paint to, to brush paint with. Well, what, what is your favorite type of paint and why? Well, I, enamels for me are my f- favorite type of paint, uh, model master or color coats or humbrel. Although the new humbrel, it does not seem to be quite the same as the old humbrel. Uh, which was really enjoyable to airbrush. The reason I like it is enamels are so forgiving as far as you do not have to be a chemist to mix the paint. You know, eyeballing it gets you there. Um, the they they don't because of their their enamels they don't have the quite the problems with tip dry that that. Uh, lacquers, or I mean acrylics, uh, water-based acrylics and alcohol-based acrylics can have. I like enamels, and then I, I like true lacquers as well. Alclad is apparently coming out of a, uh, with a line of lacquer paints, not just their metallic, but they're going into regular colors. And I'll be honest with you, I'm interested to try those out because I like spraying Alclad. Now, the downside of both enamels and and true lacquers are the VOCs. Uh, you know, it's it's not good for your lungs to be inhaling a lot of that crap. So, uh, you know, if, if you spray uh, enamels and lacquers, you need an air booth and you need to use it. And in addition, you know, uh, belt and suspenders approach, you probably ought to have a respirator. Uh, I don't always do that. I will admit that. I, I spray them with the air booth on, but no no respirator because um, it kind of gets in the way. But I understand the attraction of acrylics from the standpoint that they are much safer. Um, but... I'm I'm an enamel guy, and I probably will be as long as they are still making enamel paints. Well, if they're making lacquers, they're going to be making enamels. Just yes. unless no unless nobody buys them. Yeah. Well, for me, I alluded to it a second ago um, when the Tamiya rack landed at the hobby shop back home when I was growing up. Um, I'd already had my first airbrush by then, and I. I really got into them and, and I, I really like the, the way they spray. And, and I think, uh, they're fairly forgiving on the, on the thinning and I've for base coating, they've been my go-to for pretty much since they've been available in the United States, I think. Yeah. It's a, it's a long time at this point. Now 
since then, you know, I've gotten into some of the AK real colors and I, I just, I just sprayed my first GSI paint, Mr. Color paint, uh, yeah. very recent, v- recently as well. And I, I find them all similar. I will tell you this M30 is the first time I have really used the AK real colors. And I've got to say that thinned with unicorn tears. I, that is the one paint line that I could see myself regularly using. If, if all enamels went away, I could see myself using that particular paint line for, uh, the majority of my painting needs. Cause it, while it's not quite as forgiving as enamels thinned with the Mr. Color leveling thinner, it's pretty close. And I love the finish. Nice, smooth, hard finish. And, you know, a lot of the paints I select are, are they're purpose driven. I, I use the, uh, the, the Tamiya's and the AK's and now the, the Mr. Colors for, for kind of my base coating and, and your initial painting. Uh, but for brush painting, figures or or whatever really details um i'm a big vallejo fan and i've got a i've got a lot of that i i have a fair amount of it too uh i hate those damn squeeze bottles um (laughs) but uh, and god that paint is so hard once it separates to get it to mix back into solution uh it is it takes all you really need one of those uh, paint shakers or whatever that thing is that you've got um, to, to get a, a bottle of that uh, Vallejo to, to mix back once it's separated. But I, that is the thing I was going to mention to you. I talked about all the paints I've got on my table right now and all the different paint lines. And I think that a lot of that is driven by the new finishing techniques that have developed over the last 15 years. I mean, 15, 20 years ago, I could, I could get my model master paints, paint my model, uh, any weathering I did, I did mostly with uh, pastels, chalk pastels, or maybe a little bit of airbrush technique. But again, with the, with the model master paint, um, and that was it. But now with, with the development of so many techniques in weathering and finishing a model, it, it calls for more and different types of paints. Um, you know, tube oils and low odor mineral spirits, um, uh, Vallejo or, uh, you know, to do chipping the watercolor pencils from AK to do finishing. I mean, finishing a model has ballooned into from the final step to almost a co-equal level of with construction that it takes now as long or longer to paint and weather a model as it did to build it. And that's not the way it used to be, at least not for me. No, I agree with that. I used to, used to be able to get away with a lot simpler weathering techniques on armor models for sure. Yep. And, and I do think that's part of where this impetus for all these different paint lines. And then even inside paint lines, every, 
every two weeks, AK is coming out with oil brushers or dry brushing paint or, you know, um, uh, their, their acrylic weathering gunk or whatever. It, it just, the, the multiplication even inside one company's lines, uh, AK is probably the most uh, blatant example of that. But to, to some extent, everybody's doing it. Well, there's a lot. Is there anything you've tried recently that surprised you? Yes. Um, when working on the M30, I am trying these color modulation and, and highlighting techniques. And I was using the AK Real Colors combined with the Harder and Steenbeck Infinity Airbrush thinned with Mr. Cuddler Leveling Thinner. And, you know, as you're mixing, you've got your base color, then you're mixing in some tan and then maybe some tan and some white to get little different levels of, of highlight or color modulation. I was absolutely amazed that the combination of spraying the AK through the harder and Steenbeck with the, with the air pressure dialed down and the tip right on top of the model, it was almost like drawing with a pencil on what you were painting. The, the level of control and the level of putting the highlight just where you want it and how the highlight really popped. The nice thing about these AK colors is they mix very well. And so you can blend levels of highlight and shadow almost like you were doing with two boils if you were painting a figure. And then there are things like glazes. Um, you were, you were uh, talking to me uh, earlier about how you're trying out some things with, uh, with applying the paint as a very thin glaze. I don't think you could do that with an enamel in the old days and the regular model master thinner. And, you know, that was it. It's all this new stuff that allows us to do things like that. Well, one I've tried recently and it's all on the Zist 2 project that is on the gun breach. And I can't remember. I, I want to think it was uh, from Julian that on the bench in one of their recent episodes talking about this Citadel paints. Now, yeah. Citadel is from Games Workshop out of the UK. Their primary customer base is uh, Warhammer 40K gamers. And that's what the paint line is is tailored for. But I can tell you the metallic paints in this range are surprisingly good. And there's a color called uh, Lead Belcher. It's a slightly dark silver color. It's not real dark. Mm -hmm. They've got another color that's even darker. I tell you, I like this stuff a lot. I like the paint a lot. I hate the thing. I hate the container it comes in. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's one of those flip top lid things. Yeah, it's a paint catapult. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just about ruined the Zis when I opened this. Yeah. As a damn close call. Oh, my God. So the colors I picked up were uh, Lead Belcher, which is a, kind of a gunmetal gray, and then uh, Iron Breaker, which is an even lighter color. And I ended up using the Iron Breaker on the gun breach. In, in conjunction with those, 
the Citadel makes a lot of shading colors and, and thinner, thinner colors. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't know where these names come from the game, I guess. Uh, there's a shading color called Nuln Oil, N-U-L-N, and there's two varieties in the paint range. There's a, the standard Nuln Oil, and it's basically a thin black wash is what it is. Dark gray, yeah. maybe. And there's a Nuln Oil Gloss. And when you apply this over top of that um, Iron Breaker, Silver Metallic, or the other one, the the Lead Belcher, it gives a really, really neat look. and what I'm trying to do on the gun breach of this Zis is the uh, have all the metal in the white inside the gun breach, you know, unpainted. And there's a lot of red, red, red colored grease that's in there as well to keep all the moving parts moving, right? right. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to use. I'm probably going to use this non oil gloss at, to try to get that a little bit shiny looking to make that grease look wet and mm-hmm. see how see how that goes. I, I don't know. I I heard about these through on the bench and I'm giving them a go and I'm kind of liking the way it's looking. So, well, and, and you know what, I, that one, again, I, I keep saying we live in, in the golden age of modeling. And I think that's probably true as far as paint goes too. Cause back when there was Humbrol and, uh, and Tamiya and model master, and that was pretty much it you couldn't pull off a technique like this or it would be much more difficult to do. Whereas now you've got something, you know, store-bought ready available that allows you to, to pull off that effect. And that's, you know, that's something we didn't have 30 years ago. So, so on this project I'm, I'm doing, I've got two boils. I've got my Vallejo's. I've got uh, these Citadels. Those are all acrylics, the, the Vallejos and the Citadels. Uh, I'm using a life color paint for some of my chipping effects. It's an acrylic paint. And I've got a Tamiya Paneline Accenter I'm using, which is an, it's an enamel product. So what's that? Three formulations. Exactly. So you got to know, know how each one of them behaves and what you can, can do with each. And i tell you what it does. It lets you do a base out of like out of the acrylic and it's, it's dry in 10 minutes. Right. Right. Then you come over with one of these lacquer based or enamel based products and go right over top of it. Yep. Come back and, with white spirits and peel it back to whatever effect you want. And it won't affect the base coat. Yep. And that is the, uh, the other thing I was talking about pitying guys who come into the hobby right now with all of this stuff you almost have to learn a little chemistry to know what goes over what and what you can use to peel it back and what won't attack the underlying uh, finish and what will. Um, it, you know, it, it, it's a lot more to learn in the old days when it was just enamels, acrylics, and you know that you, you know, you know that uh, uh, if if you used enamel thinner on an enamel, it'll pull it up or, or, you know, it just, there's a lot more technique. Uh, when you were listing off there, the, the stuff you had used on so far on the Zis, I mean, you used several different type of paints with several different chemical formulations, you know, using several different techniques to apply them. 
and some layered over top of each other. And that's that really requires a lot more brain box as far as learning this stuff. And again, I think that goes back to something that I've said, that the best thing you can do is in modeling is model. If you're constantly building and you're constantly doing the painting and these techniques, you'll remember what goes over what and what you can use with what, and you'll get better and better at it. Whereas if you spend long time away from the the bench or you go long time without having something in the paint booth that you're weathering, you it's not like riding a bicycle. You lose those skills or at least some part of them. Oh, I agree with that. And yeah, I think the more you use this stuff, the more you, you it's it's in your brain that okay, I'm going to use this for this this part of the process and this for the second part, third part and so on. But there's just a lot to it and you end up with a you end up with a lot of paint. <laughs> yep, you do. I mean, uh, paint storage is one of my big challenges. I've got I've got more paint strewn or strewn about that than, you know, almost anything else and I've got to struggle to keep it organized. In fact, uh, you were over the other day. You you gave me a great suggestion that I forget where you had picked it up uh, about how to store your paint. Well, and it's not uncommon for me to have the same color in at least two different formulations. Yeah. In, in fact, I'd, I'd mentioned to you not too long ago about picking up that Hataka set for the, the pre-war Polish colors and, and yep. getting getting both the lacquer and the acrylic set well and and you can see where that would come in you know by the way you you wonder sometimes why a manufacturer might run two ranges acrylic and and lacquer a perfect that's a perfect example you want to pick up both sets you might want to use the lacquer for your base coat and the acrylic for your chipping and weathering or vice versa however you choose to do it but by having both of those ranges out of a single manufacturer you get color consistency within that project now i'm not as huge on color consistency as a lot of people may be because let's face it the base coat is never the the finished color when you've put all this other stuff over it but no. it really does make it easier i think if you've got like I said, the two sets from Hataka of the same colors in both formulations. Which was exactly my thinking. And now I've got to buy both of those sets. Thank you very much. <laughs> Cause I'm going to build that. I'm going to build the uh, TKS and, or the seven TP and I'm going to need those colors. Well, so will I. <laughs> Anything else you want to talk about paint? Uh, we could do this all night long. I've still got a little bit of beer left in the glass, but uh, probably we're getting on to the, about the time where we better wrap this up. Well, folks can tell us what they think about the paint situation and what they like and uh, any tips they may have. We'd love to hear that. So, Absolutely. Let us know. I know we didn't get into the technical aspects of using them, but uh, just kind of a high level is what's out there and, and kind, of the, kind of the situation we're in with all these paints right now. Do you have a shout out for this month? Well, I've got uh, some shout outs for the, the latest contributors to the efforts here at Plastic Model Mojo. James Culotta, 
Alec Krakava and Christopher Church have all become uh, donors to our cause here. So we appreciate that, guys. I appreciate it because it's allowed us to upgrade some equipment, and hopefully you'll notice the sound difference uh, from that upgraded equipment. And hopefully we'll take a start the road show up too. <laughs> April, April's going to be here soon, man. So thank you guys for that. And if anyone else would like to make a contribution to the efforts at Plastic Model Mojo, you can do so uh, by going to www.plasticmodelmojo.com and in the upper right hand corner of the screen you'll see a heart icon uh, you can use that to go to a direct paypal contribution uh, also that same uh, link can be found in any of the show notes that are on that website for any given episode so thank you for for all those who have donated and for these three gentlemen for uh, doing so in the last couple of weeks thank you very much yes definitely thank you from Mike, uh, I'd like to shout out a podcast, but not exactly a modeling podcast. Uh, it's a World War II history podcast called uh, We Have Ways. It is by historian uh, James Holland and comedian Al Murray. And um, they do a twice a week podcast on aspects of World War II history. Uh, the discussions are wide ranging. Uh, lately, they've been doing ser a series called Family Stories, where listeners have contributed stories from their family's experience, you know, passed down through returning veterans. And they've come up with some amazing stories of, uh, you know, people's service in World War II. It's a funny podcast, given Al Murray, the comedian's participation. Uh, they have really good guests on for interviews. Uh, I highly recommend if, if if once you're done listening to all the model podcasts out there and you're looking for more podcast content, uh, summer's coming up. You're going to be out in the yard doing yard work a lot. So you're going to need a lot of podcast content. I highly recommend We Have Ways. All right, Dave. Well, I think we're coming to the end, unless you have another shout-out. Nope. I think we're right at the end. As they say, Dave, so many kits. So little time, Mike. All right. Well, we'll catch you next time, man. You got it. You take care.